Lasting Love Podcast, presented by CoachingWithFroy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithFroy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Attracting Lasting Love Podcast, My name is Roy Biancolana. I am your host. And today, we wrap up a series of podcasts that I've been doing called Quantum Questions for Life and Love. Today is part five of a five-part series. And you know, if you've listened to any of the other ones, that what we're doing here is that I believe there are certain questions that we can ask ourselves. And if we meditate on them and sit with them and ponder them and mull them over, they can provide a wisdom. They can create a kind of an awakening that can bring about a quantum leap in our lives and our love lives. They can catapult us to a a whole new way of being in the world. And so I've been so excited about this series because I believe all five of these questions can do that for you. And I'm hoping you've already maybe experienced some quantum shifts by asking the question, what's here now, which was part number one, or the question, what am I really feeling, which was question number two. Question number three was, why don't I normally and naturally feel alive and passionate and motivated and full of life and love and joy? Why don't I normally and sort of always feel that way? The fourth question was, what's the real reason I'm single? Like, why am I single? So easy to blame. Oh, I just haven't found the right person yet. Or all the good ones are taken or gay. But what if we're sabotaging ourselves? What if somehow we're keeping ourselves from a relationship? What if we're doing something to create barriers to love, to block it from happening, and we don't know that we're doing it? So that fourth podcast was a powerful one because we were trying to help surface what is beneath the surface. We're trying, we were trying to bring into consciousness that which might be, you know, subconscious ways in which we're unconsciously sabotaging ourselves, blocking ourselves and keeping ourselves single, right? Wouldn't it be tragic if you were single, not because you work a lot of hours and have a really complex job or you've got a lot of kids or you're not very attractive or you're overweight or what if it's not because all the good ones are taken or gay? What if it's not because fate is just not on your side and you haven't met the right person yet? What if you're doing something that you don't know that is pushing people away? That is leading you to not be in the relationship you want to be. Okay. So that was a powerful one. But now we're going to the fifth question. And the question is, what is my personality type? Or how is my personality type sabotaging my life and my love life? How is my personality type sabotaging my life and my love life? So we're going to talk about your personality type here. And this is a quantum question if you get really interested in your personality type and learning how it might be responsible for so much of the suffering in your life, so much of the difficulty in your life. Um, And we are going to use a particular personality system to help you identify your personality type. We're going to use a system that's called, and I'm wondering if you've ever heard of it, it's called the Enneagram. Enneagram. 
it's spelled, just so you know, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. Ennea in Greek is nine. So there's nine different personality types in the Enneagram system of personality. Okay? Now, the reason I'm choosing the Enneagram as the system we're going to use to help us become more self-aware of our personality types and how it can be shooting ourselves in the foot and causing suffering and difficulty in relationship and workplace issues and every aspect of our life. In other words, (laughs) we can be our own worst enemies. And how are we our own worst enemies? Well, it's our personalities. It's, It's our egos. Okay, so the Enneagram is a map of the ego. And the Enneagram teaches that there are basically nine faces of the ego. There's nine different ways the ego shows up in our human nature. And so we're going to use the Enneagram because I believe, and I'm not the only one, it is without question the deepest, most accurate personality system in the world. Nothing comes close to it. There are There is something called the Myers-Briggs you might be familiar with. There is something called the DISC. You might be familiar with that. There are, there's the classical four-type personality thing. Is it like melancholy, choleric, I forget which ones. There's them. There's there's four or five fairly popular personality systems. And if you meet someone who understands them all and is, you know, moderately familiar with all of them, they will definitely tell you the Enneagram is far superior to any of them. It's not even close. It's, it's, it's like the disc, the Myers Briggs are they're not even in the same league. In terms of the breadth, the accuracy, the depth, sometimes the complexity. Okay, the Enneagram is so far and wide the best personality system in the world. And so, as I say that, I want to tell you that I'm a little nervous about doing this podcast because this might be your one and only time someone ever talks to you about the Enneagram. (laughs) And man, I don't want to blow it. Like if I had a prayer, like if I was going to get on my knees, I would right now, I would just beg God. I said, God, please make the listener fall in love with the Enneagram. Please let me communicate to them in ways that really makes them interested in it that they want to take an interest in it, that they want to do a little further reading or research or surfing some websites and they want to discover their type and see how it might be sabotaging their lives and their love lives. It's like, God, no, God, please don't let me blow this opportunity. Because if you walk away from this and you're like, eh, Enneagram, no, that's another personality thing. I'm not into all that stuff. It's weird and blah, blah, blah. Man, then you have missed an opportunity for perhaps the most giant quantum leap your life could ever take. I cannot tell you what the Enneagram has meant to me and my personal growth and everyone that I come in contact with. It's like I won't even work with a client until I know their personality type. That's how important it is. I don't know how any helping profession, whether it's a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a therapist, a counselor, a coach, I don't know how any of them work with people without using the Enneagram. I I think they're ill-equipped. I think they're not serving their clients by not knowing this system. Okay, That sounds pretty harsh and pretty judgmental, but that's just how important I think the Enneagram is. I just don't know how anybody works with anyone without using this because what happens is if you don't use this, anybody who's working with another person is going to work with everybody kind of in the same way. 
But one of the things the Enneagram shows is there's nine different personality types and they have totally different motivations. They have totally different belief structures. They have totally different ways in which they get triggered. They have completely different wants and desires. They deal with emotions in completely different ways. So if you're working with a person and you you have a general, this, well, this is how I work with all my clients, that's a disaster. You have to work with your client according to their personality type. Otherwise, you will never get through to them and you will never help them become truly self-aware because that's what the Enneagram is. It's a map to help you become self-aware. Aware of what? Of yourself, of your ego. The Enneagram is a map of the ego. So, you remember this the, the phrase, know thyself, right? Those were the words they were inscribed above the entrance to the temple of Apollo at Delphi, the site of the sacred oracle back in ancient Greece, okay? Right over this entrance to this famous temple where you would go see the oracle, right? Who was some sort of ancient psychic or something. But right over, right over the doorway, it said, know thyself. That's good today too. Not the oracle and the psychic stuff, but the idea of know thyself. Self-awareness is the key to everything. And the Enneagram is the best tool that I've ever come across to help us know ourselves, to see why we react like we do, why certain things are important to us and not others, why we get triggered by some things, but that doesn't seem to bother anybody else, <laughs> right? Why are we, why do we lack assertiveness, but that person doesn't? Why do, why do some people get overly involved in their emotions, but I sort of don't, Right? Why do I see the world a certain way, but not everyone sees it? Because you have different personalities. So the Enneagram is this accurate way of showing you there's nine personality types. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little bit more background on the Enneagram, why it's important, and a little bit more about the difference it can make in your life. And then I'm going to describe the nine types very briefly. Okay, very briefly, but I'm going to do a three-part series immediately following this where I spend one podcast talking about three different types and I'll do three podcasts, three times three is nine. Okay, so I'm going to give you an overview today of this and my purpose is quite simple. I want you to fall in love with this. I want to peak or what is it, peak or pick? No, I don't know. I want to get you interested in this. I want to get you very curious about what is my type, okay? So I want to let you know that in the show notes and even on the podcasts here, I'm going to be giving you resources for further study, okay? You can certainly reach out to me. I can answer any questions you might have. And I'd love to work with you to help you discover your type, okay? But we won't go into that right now. But I'm going to give you resources. Like, I'm going to give you the best Enneagram book that you can read. I'm going to point you to the best Enneagram website. There are plenty of them, but not they're not all the same. And in terms of determining your type, I'm going to make available to you my own self-test that I've created for my clients. If you want it, I'll send it to you for free, no obligation, no nothing. Look, I have my own self-test. It describes in detail all nine types. You read all nine. You pick which one that sounds like you the most, okay? But I'm also going to point you to the very best online test, okay? All the Enneagram sites, they have their online tests. All of them will tell you by their own admission, they're not very accurate, okay? They're about 57% accurate. That's terrible. The one thing you do not want to do here is misidentify your type. 
because here's the cool thing about the Enneagram, and this is how it really sets itself apart from any other personality type. Not only does it describe your personality type, but the Enneagram provides a path of growth as your type. It shows you what do you need to work on to be the healthiest version of your type. It lays out a path of growth. It lays out and points out where your pitfalls are, where your blind spots are. It shows you how you will sabotage your relationships. You see what I mean? So the Enneagram is so much more useful in in the application of how it impacts your life and your love life. The other personality tests just say you're an introvert or an extrovert. All right, there you go. Okay, I guess that's helpful. But there's no path of growth. Either you're an introvert or you're an extrovert, right? Either you make decisions by feelings or by rational thought. Okay, fine. But it doesn't tell you how to think better or how to feel better, (laughs) right? So the Enneagram is more than just describing, okay, you're this type. It lays out a whole pathway. In other words, your spiritual journey can be completely derived from the Enneagram. Like the Enneagram, this is not an exaggeration. It can be the only tool you ever use in your life and it will take you to the heights of your human potential. It will take you to the deepest places of spiritual realization and the healthiest ways of relating to other people, whether it's your children, your friends, family members, and your intimate partner, and especially relating to yourself. Okay? So maybe by now you're getting like, okay, Roy thinks the Enneagram is the shit. (laughs) You're right, okay? Roy thinks this is a big deal, and I'm hoping that that is sort of convincing you, maybe I should look into this. So I'm going to give you all these resources to follow up with. So you're going to be able to send me an email and say, Roy, there's something called the Enneagram Cheat Sheet that I have prepared. And it gives you all the basics on all the types on one document. Fantastic. It's going to be yours for free. And then, like I said, I have my own self-test because it's important that we, we accurately identify your type because otherwise because the Enneagram is giving you a map of growth if you misidentify yourself it's going to be pushing you to grow in ways that you don't need to focus on like if if you're type one which is the reformer or the perfectionist okay then you need to your, your growth path has to be learning to accept things as they are serenity now Because if you're a perfectionist, if you're a reformer, you're always trying to change everything and fix everybody and correct things. And, you know, you're sort of a perfectionist. So you can be a little critical. You can be a little demanding. You can, you can feel like there's a right way to do everything. And I'm going to try to tell people around me about the right way. And so you can have a lot of angst in yourself and a lot of resentment and even anger because the world is not the way you think it should be. So your path of growth is not to not try to change the world and make a difference in the world, but to come at it from a place of acceptance. So like Gandhi was a type one. And you know Gandhi's most famous saying, be the change you want to see in the world. So right there you see Gandhi's all about change. That's what the type one is all about. But he did it from a very enlightened place. He wasn't walking around criticizing and condemning and saying, you're doing it wrong. Let me tell you how to do it. I'm right. You're an idiot. You know, he wasn't harsh and demanding and critical and controlling like a perfectionist can be. Okay. He was able to accept the imperfections and work with them from a place of love and compassion. So do you you see it now? What if you think you're a one, but you're not? You're going to start working on love and compassion where you should be working on something else because your type is something else. Do you follow me? Okay. So we, you, you, the fear here is that you will misidentify yourself or God forbid other people. 
That's one of the dangers with the Enneagram. You're going to walk around and say, oh, he's a type one or she's a type three. or And you don't know. You got to be really careful with this tool because you can use it like a billy club. <laughs> Right. So we'll get into more of that as as time goes on here. But right now, okay, so I've sort of laid some of the groundwork, but let me go to my favorite website for the Enneagram. It's Enneagram.is. Right? www.enneagram.is. And this is what they say the Enneagram is. The Enneagram is a personality system that provides profoundly accurate insights into our automatic patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving. Each of the nine types of the Enneagram has a distinct set of underlying beliefs and motivations that result in nine different sets of habits of mind and emotion. Understanding these patterns results in deeper self-awareness as well as greater understanding and compassion for others. Take that in, okay? One more thing I'll read to you from this site, and it's the title, Why Study the Enneagram? Like, why look into this thing? Why take it seriously? This is what they say. Understanding our own Enneagram type allows us to see and understand patterns of thinking and behaving that are so automatic that we aren't consciously aware of them. While most of the time these patterns work well for us, there are also ways in which they hinder our effectiveness and personal growth. Greater self-awareness is an essential first step in transformation and growth. And in our experience, the Enneagram is the most powerful and accurate tool for greater self-awareness. Once we see and accept these patterns, we are able to make more conscious choices about our actions. The Enneagram also helps us understand others by providing insight into what drives their behavior. For example, if we know that someone's aggression is based on fear or their criticism is based on a sincere desire to help us, we naturally soften our response and are better better able to relate to them. This understanding allows us to have more compassion and also provides practical insight into how to better communicate with each other. So that's so key. When you understand your type, it's going to make you compassionate towards yourself. Like no wonder why. That triggers me. No wonder why I make those kinds of assumptions. No wonder why I deal with my emotions the way I do. No wonder why I act and think in some of the ways that I do. And it's also going to make you have compassion for other people for the same reasons. Like I, like I totally get, I get when you're criticizing me, you're trying to help me if you're a perfectionist. I know you're trying to help, right? So it's going to make it so much easier to understand your partner or your children or your coworkers. Like a friend of mine who does corporate coaching in, in business environments, work with leadership teams, he won't work with any leadership team of any size company unless he knows everybody's Enneagram type in the room and they all know each other's types. Because when you do, it just creates all these aha, almost funny moments. Like, no, no wonder why you're like that, right? No wonder why you react that way. It, and for ourselves, when you know your type, as is, 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 is you get into this, as you discover what your type is and then you read up on it, You can go to YouTube and watch videos people have made about the types. You're going to have so many of these aha moments like, oh my God, this, no wonder I'm that way. I never knew why I, you know, you're going to, the self-awareness is going to just, you're going to have a quantum leap in self-awareness and that will allow you, as I just read to you, it will allow you to make more conscious choice because now you know what makes you tick. 
You know what triggers you. You know what your motivations are. You know kind of how you see the world. And it can, you know, for a perfectionist, it can, it can make them relax a little bit. Like I know I see the world through the lens of there's a right way and a wrong way. There are rules and you're supposed to be appropriate and things are, are supposed to, I, I have high standards and you're going to affect and impact the world certain ways. But the more you know that you're built that way, the more you won't be as much of an asshole. You know, I, I can't say it that way because every type, when you're, when you're sort of in the trance of your type, when you don't, like, like I read to you, um, understanding our Enneagram type allows us to see and understand patterns of thinking and behaving that are so automatic that we aren't consciously aware of them. Whenever you're in your, your type's behaviors that you aren't consciously aware of them, you're an asshole. <laughs> People often ask, you know, are there good or bad Enneagram types? No, they're not. They all have blessings. They all have blind spots. But if you're caught in some of the unconscious patterns of your type, you're a pain in the ass to deal with. Like no types are less a pain in the butt than others. You know, and so in other words, you never, oh, I want to find a type two to be in a relationship with, or I want to find a type eight or something. No, because if a person is caught in the patterns of their type, they're going to be a pain in the ass. And conversely, no, ma- no matter what type a person is, if they're not caught in their patterns, if they are self-aware, if they're aware of how their type is showing up and sabotaging themselves and how it can, can be a detriment in the way they relate, then you can relate with any type as long as they're sort of awake to their type. Right? So there are no good types or bad types. There are no types you would rather be with or not. If you are sort of transcending your personality a little bit, you've woken up to it, you'd be a great person to be in a relationship with no matter what your type is. But if you haven't, if you don't know your type and it's running your life and ruining your life without you knowing it, no matter what type you are, you're going to be a pain in the ass. Okay, so that gives us some background understanding. Now, before I describe um, some of the types, um, what I want to do is I want to give you a couple of points, like at least six of them here, that I want you to keep in mind. Okay. Because we're going to talk about these nine types and so forth, but there's some things to keep in mind. And so the first one is people do not change from one basic personality type to another. Okay? You have one type and it never changes your entire life. Now, if you talk to the really deep experts on the Enneagram, they're going to tell you which is it? Is your personality nurture or nature? Right? Think about that. What is personality? Is does it come from the way you've been conditioned in your environment? Is it is it come from nurture or are you born with it? Well, all the best experts say it's both. You are born with some innate person with when, with an innate personality type. And then your environment sort of brings it out. You begin to relate to your parents and your early childhood environment because of that innate type, okay? So it's both nurture and nature. You're born with this. So my point is, when you do work on yourself and you're growing spiritually, if you're a type nine, you're always going to be a type nine. You're never going to become a type eight or a type three or something. No, you have one type, it never changes, okay? Now, however, you can be very unhealthy in your type, like psychologically unhealthy, or you can be very healthy and evolved. So you can be an unhealthy type nine, which is the peacemaker, by the way, and you can be chronically avoiding conflict and confrontation and you just disappear and don't engage in life. And you can be very unhealthy in your commitment to just keep the peace and 
go along to get along and not make waves and don't show up and just sort of be a wallflower. You can be very unhealthy in that. Or you can be a type nine who's learned to speak up, who has become more comfortable with anger, who is willing to confront and face issues in their lives or in their relationships. You follow me? So you're only one type, you're always one type, but you can grow as your type. And that's the whole point of the Enneagram. This is it's a map. It's a map of growth ultimately. Okay? Number two, the descriptions of the personality types are universal and they apply equally to males and females since no type is inherently masculine or feminine. Okay? So the types are universal. It has nothing to do with gender, nothing to do with race, nothing to do with sexual orientation. You can be a trans woman and you still have a personality type, don't you? You still have a personality, right? doesn't matter where in the world you live, what language you speak, what country you're from, a thousand years ago, people had pers- these these nine personality types were there. A thousand years from now, these nine personality types are going to be there. Okay, so and it's very important. They're not more masculine or feminine. You might think like the type two is the helper. That might sound like a more nurturing, helping you know, a feminine type and the type eight's called the challenger. That's kind of the bossier type. And you might think, oh, that sounds masculine. No, there are women who are type eights. There are men who are type twos. Okay. So it's just, these are universal types that apply to everyone in any situation, no matter what their background is or who they are. Okay. Number three, this is very important. Not everything in the description of your type will apply to you all the time because you fluctuate constantly among being healthy, average, or unhealthy in your type, right? So when you learn what your type is, you probably aren't going to say that every single way the type is being described applies to you. Not not 100%. But you are, when, when you land on what your type is, you are going to say, oh, they probably should put my picture next to that one because it nails me, right? But I don't want you to think, as I read the description of the types, um, and, and then as I do three more podcasts where I go deeply into each one, I don't want you to think that if everything I say about a type doesn't, apply to you that that means you're not that type, okay? If you are that type, most of what I say is going to apply to you. And maybe some of the things you don't think applies to you is because you just don't see it, (laughs) okay? But I don't want you to think that, you know, if there's nine characteristics and you're like, well, nine of them are true, one of them's not, so that that can't be my type. No, no, no. It's, It's not that way, okay? All right, number four. The Enneagram uses numbers to designate each of the types, but the numbers are neutral. Like type one is not better than type nine. We're just using numbers to make it it's easier reference. And sometimes in psychiatry, we start, they, they, they use labels, you know, you're manic, you're bipolar. We start using these labels and I don't know about that. So I think one of the reasons why in Enneagram stuff, they just use numbers is there's there's no pejorative nature to the number nine or the number eight or the number three. <laughs> They're just numbers, okay? So one is not better than nine. Nine is not better than one. The numbers don't mean anything. There's just nine types and they've just given them numbers, okay? Um, okay, and then lastly, no type maybe I've already said this, but no type is inherently better or worse than any other type. While all personality types have unique assets and liabilities, some types may be considered to be more desirable than others in any given culture or group. Like you might, you, you might be in a culture or in a group that values one, one type of personality more than another, but that's just their own biases. Um, 
And, and so for one reason or another, you may not be happy. You might not even be happy with your type. There are certain types that when they find out they're that type, they don't like it. <laughs> okay. Um, but that's really, that's not wise because every type has got beautiful blessings to it, right? But they've just got downsides. They got blind spots. They, they sabotage us. So usually when someone doesn't like their type, it's maybe they're just overly noticing how it's kind of fucked up their life and made life difficult. Um, and they're not paying enough attention to, to the beautiful aspect of the type. So they're just personality types. It's just your ego, right? And, and even with that word, that word is normally a bad word, a dirty word, ego. Whoa, he's got such a big ego. And in a sense, that's true. Ego does describe our kind of narcissistic tendencies, our kind of self-absorbed, you know, uh, ways in which we want to defend ourselves and, and, you know, define ourselves and get, get ourselves noticed. You know, the ego is really all about wanting approval, security and control. Okay. So it's got the dark side to it, but personality types also have great creativity and, they stand for, you know, very high values at times and so forth. So no type is better or worse and your, your type is not good or bad, but it does have, you know, vices and virtues, I guess you could say. All right. So how is that? Um, yeah. Okay. Let me talk just very briefly about some resources. And of course, these will be in the show notes. Like I said, the best website is Enneagram.is. Okay? And on the Enneagram.is website is the best self-test that you can take online. Now, it costs 20 bucks. It is so worth it. Because that test has been determined to be about 85% accurate. While all the other tests at all the other websites, by their own admission now, okay, this is not me, this is their own admission, they are about 57% accurate. That's not high enough because you got about a 50-50 chance of getting your type wrong and that will mess up everything in your life. Okay, again, the most important thing is that you, you accurately determine your type because it's going to set you down a path. And if it's the wrong path for your type, you're wasting your time and you won't have the spiritual growth and it won't make a difference in your relationships the way it can. Okay. So if you're going to take an online test, I mean, don't even take the other ones. It'll confuse you. Take the one that's found at Enneagram.is. Spend the lousy 20 bucks to do it. Just so you know, when I have a client it's included in their fee, so I pay it for my clients, um, and that's how important it is, okay? So that's the best website. That's the best online test. I already told you that I have my own self-test that I can send you and some other documents. Just send, hey, Roy, send me that Enneagram stuff you talked about on the pod, podcast, and I'll send it to you, Okay. I won't follow up with you. There's no obligation. There's no charge. I just want you to have this. I want you to love the Enneagram and use it in your life. Okay? Now, the best book, there are so many books about the Enneagram. And, and, and I would say almost all of them are really good. But the best one, especially if you're new to the Enneagram, is a book called The Wisdom of the Enneagram. And it's written by... Rizzo and Hudson you can find it on Amazon or any place else. The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Rizzo and Hudson. Um, it's just the best, most basic book. Now, if you want the deepest book, the most complex, the most spiritual, the deepest, there's a book that's called, let me, let me turn around my head here and just read it. The Spiritual Dimension of the Enneagram by Sandra Matri. And it, her name is M-A-I-T-R-I. 
the spiritual dimension of the Enneagram is the deepest. If you've never, if you haven't heard of the Enneagram before, don't touch that book. You, you won't have a clue. Okay. If you are familiar with the Enneagram, if you're very familiar with it and you just want to go deeper, then go that direction. But for everybody else, start with the wisdom of the Enneagram. Okay. Great. Okay. So those are all the resources that are available to you. Now, um, now I want to, um, I want to give you a brief, I'm going to read a paragraph on each one of the types, just kind of to whet your appetite for these next three podcasts where I'm going to go into all nine types, three at a time. Okay. Now in Enneagram philosophy, they, the nine types are grouped into three. There, there are three sets of threes. And that's because three of the types, they all share kind of the same feeling, but in different ways. So types eight, nine, and one are what's called anger types. They all have a particular relationship to anger. Okay? Types two, three, and four are called shame types. They're all based on shame, but it's expressed in different ways. And types five, six, and seven are fear types. At the core, they're driven by a fear, but the fear is different from type to type there. So do you get that? That anger is the the kind of the underlying passion or energy of the eight, nine, and one, but it comes out differently with each one. Shame is that underlying energy um, or passion of the two, three, and four, but it comes out a little differently for each of the types. And then the five, six, and seven, they're all motivated by fear, but in different ways. So I'm going to read you not one through nine. I'm going to read you eight, nine, and one. Then I'm going to read you two, three, four, and then five, six, seven. So we just put them in those groups because the next three podcasts are going to be, the next podcast is going to be all about the eight, nine, and the one. The second podcast in the series is all about two, three, and four. And the last podcast will be all about five, six, seven. Because they have some similarities, it's kind of going to be more coherent and understandable for me to describe them to you in those groupings. Okay? So... The type eight, let me just read this. It's called the challenger. That's the name, the challenger type eight. The powerful dominating type eights are self-confident, strong, and assertive. Protective, resourceful, and decisive. They can also be proud and domineering. Eights feel they must control their environment often becoming confrontational and intimidating. They typically have problems with allowing themselves to be close to others. At their best, healthy eights are self-mastering. They use their strength to improve others' lives, becoming heroic, magnanimous, and sometimes historically great. That's the type eight, the challenger. They can be controlling and dominating and assertive and bullies on the negative side. But on the positive side, they can be great leaders and um, quite magnanimous and quite – they can be like big papa bear. They want to protect those they care about. Okay, That's the eight. The nine is called the peacemaker. And when I go into the podcast on each of these, I'm going to give you examples from real life of people who are each type to help you get a better flavor for it, okay? The nine is the peacemaker. The easygoing, self-effacing type. Nines are accepting, trusting, and stable. They are good-natured, kind-hearted, easygoing, and supportive but can also be too willing to go along with others and keep the peace. They want everything to be without conflict, but can tend to be complacent and minimize anything upsetting. 
They typically have problems with passivity and stubbornness. At their best, healthy nines are indomitable and all-embracing. They are able to bring people together and heal conflicts. So the nine can fall into, I'm just going to, I want to be comfortable. I want to keep the peace. I don't want to make waves. I hate anger. I hate conflict. I'm going to avoid all of that. But when they're growing and they're healthy, they can really help to heal conflicts. They, they can enter into difficulties and bring healing rather than running away from it and sort of hiding. Okay. That's the type nine. Type one is called the reformer or sometimes the perfectionist. But we use reformer because it's kind of a less negative word. The principled idealistic type. Ones are ethical and conscientious with a strong sense of right and wrong. They are teachers and crusaders always striving to improve things, but afraid of making a mistake. Well-organized, orderly, and fastidious, they try to maintain high standards, but can slip into being critical and perfectionistic. They typically have problems with repressed anger and impatience. At their best, healthy ones are wise, discerning, realistic, and noble as well as morally heroic. So that's the one. They have high standards. Um, they, They have a strong sense of right and wrong, but they can be critical or controlling or demanding because of it. And they can, they can have a repressed anger because, well, the world's not fucking perfect. And, They see the imperfections. They see how it's not right. And they can live with this smoldering anger within them, although they hide it because being angry is not right. And we'll talk more about that. So that's types eight, nine, and one. Okay? Type two is called the helper or sometimes the giver. The caring, interpersonal type Twos are empathetic, sincere, and warm-hearted. They are friendly, generous, and self-sacrificing. But they can also be sentimental, flattering, and people-pleasing. They are driven to be close to others, and they often do things for others in order to be needed. They typically have problems taking care of themselves and acknowledging their own needs. At their best, Healthy twos are unselfish and altruistic and have unconditional love for themselves and others. Okay, there's the two. They can over-function. They can want to be generous and giving and helpful because they kind of want to be needed. So they can be sort of manipulative because they're helping, but they want to be needed. Okay? Okay. We'll say more about that. The type three. This is my type, my ego type. It's not who I am. It's my ego type. Type three is called the achiever or sometimes it's called the performer. The adaptable success oriented type. Threes are self-assured, attractive, and charming. Ambitious, competitive, and energetic They can also be status conscious and highly driven for personal advancement. Threes are often concerned about their image and what others think of them. They typically have problems with workaholism and competitiveness. At their best, healthy threes are self-accepting, authentic, and everything they seem to be, role models who inspire others. And just as an aside, Every word of that nails me. (laughs) At my best, I really do want to inspire others. Look what I'm doing right now. But oh, can I be competitive? Oh, can I be image conscious and try to manage what people think of me and how they seem, how they see me? Okay. Okay. So more about that later. The type four 
is called the individualist. Okay? The romantic introspective type. Fours are self-aware, sensitive, reserved, and quiet. They are self-revealing, emotionally honest, and personal, but they can also be moody and self-conscious. Withholding themselves from others due to feeling vulnerable and defective, they can also feel disdainful and exempt from ordinary ways of living. They typically have problems with self-indulgence and self-pity. At their best, healthy fours are inspired and highly creative, able to renew themselves and transform their experiences. So the type four is the most emotional of all the types. They're sometimes called the drama queens or the drama kings. So they can get really lost in their emotions. And yet... They are unbelievably creative and they can hold space for other people's emotions. Okay? So the four is a beautiful type. It's a very textured type of person. It's called the individualist. Okay, type five is called the investigator or sometimes called the scientist. The intense cerebral type. Fives are alert, insightful, and curious. They are able to concentrate and focus on developing complex ideas and skills. Independent and innovative, they can become preoccupied with their thoughts and imaginary constructs. They become detached, yet high-strung and intense. They typically have problems with isolation eccentricity, and nihilism. At their best, healthy fives are visionary pioneers, often ahead of their time and able to see the world in an entirely new way. So this five is a very head type. They're thinking. They're, they're not very emotional. They're more like a, a scientist type. Okay? They're intense and cerebral and so forth. Okay, that's the type five. Type six is called the loyalist, or sometimes they're called the loyal skeptic. Okay? The committed, security-oriented type. Sixes are reliable, hardworking, and responsible, but they can also be defensive, evasive, and highly anxious, running on stress while complaining about it. They are often cautious and indecisive, but can also be reactive, defiant, and rebellious. They typically have problems with self-doubt and suspicion. At their best, healthy sixes are internally stable, self-confident, and self-reliant, courageously supporting the weak and powerless. So this is the fear type. Sixes are anxious. They deal with lots of self-doubt, skepticism, right? But, but they really want to be connected because there's safety in numbers, right? That's the six. The seventh, the last one we'll describe, is called the enthusiast, or sometimes it's called the adventurer, or what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, oh, it'll pop in my head in a minute here. All right, here's how, here's how this type goes. The seven, the enthusiast. The busy, productive type. Sevens are versatile, optimistic, and spontaneous. Playful, high-spirited, and practical. They can also be overextended, scattered, and undisciplined. They constantly seek new and exciting experiences, but they can become distracted and exhausted by staying on the go. They typically have problems with superficiality and impulsiveness. At their best, healthy sevens focus their talents on worthwhile goals, becoming joyous, highly accomplished, and full of gratitude. The sevens are the party animal. 
of the Enneagram. They are full of possibilities and and positivity, and they're just always wanting to do new things, exciting things. They dread boredom and want to avoid pain. Okay? So that's the seven. So there you have a little synopsis of the types. And maybe as I read one, you're like, oh, crap, that one sounded like me. Right? All I want you to do is listen to the next three podcasts. And on the surface, you might think, well, if I know my type, why should I do that? Well, you can know your type better. What is spiritual growth? It's self-awareness. What is? What are you self-aware of? Ego. So the more you know of your personality and how it operates and how it thinks and what motivates it, the more prepared you are to live an effective life and to love in healthy ways. But you also want to learn at least a little bit about all the types because you're going to have all the types in your life. <laughs> your kids, your family members, your friends, your co-workers, people you date, people you marry. You know, you, you do need to know their type because the more you know their type, the more compassion you're going to have, the more understanding that you you can bring to the relationship, the better that you can communicate with them. So don't just say, I'm going to learn my type and move on. Go the deepest with your type, but learn the other ones too, so that you're really equipped, you know, to to live in the world kind of understanding people and why they they operate the way they do and why they react the way they do and and then how to reach them and how to communicate to them. You see there's there's certain ways to communicate to different types because once you know what they're motivated by and what their what their basic fears like each type has a basic fear. Okay, just take my type quickly, the achiever. Okay? Why why achiever? Because there's a fear of failure. There's a fear of not being seen. There's a fear of not having value. Well, what's the best way to be seen and to feel like I'm valuable? To perform, to achieve, to succeed. Do you see that? So each type has a basic fear that motivates the entire type. We could actually say the Enneagram is a map of our defense mechanisms. Your personality type is a defense mechanism. That's why Michael Singer says there is no such thing as a good personality type. (laughs) You know, people say, oh, she's got a great personality. Oh, he's got a great personality. Well, Michael Singer in his playful way says there is no such thing as a good personality because the personality is built on fear. It's It's built on a basic fear. Each of the nine types has a particular kind of fear. When you understand a person's core fear, that will help you relate with them and understand them and communicate with them in such effective ways. So you want to know what your basic fear is. You want to know what the other type's basic fears are because that will explain why they do what they do, why they react the way they do, why they see the world the way they do. Does that make sense? Okay. So the next three podcasts, we're going to go into the anger types. They're sometimes called the instinctual types. We're going to look at the eight, the nine, and the one, the challenger, the peacemaker, and the reformer. And then we're going to look at the shame types, the helper, the achiever, and the individualist. Okay. And then lastly, we're going to look at the fear types. The, what did I call it? The scientist, the observer. What, what, I forget what I called it. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the scientist, the loyalist, and the adventurer. I guess the type seven, five, six, and seven. There's, there's little different nicknames for each one of them that I get confused. Sorry. Um, so, okay. Now, I just want to give you a blatant invitation, just a blanket invitation here. 
Um, I'm an expert with the Enneagram and it's so important in your life. So um, you should consider hiring me just to work on your Enneagram type, just to see how it's showing up in your life, how to be the healthy version of your type. You really could consider working with me as a coach to deal with no other issue in your life than help me become self-aware of my type and how it's ruining or potentially ruining my work life, my family life, my love life. All right. So until next time, uh, where we jump more deeply into it, we'll see you then. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. 